Welcome to the King's Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Sponsored by Max Muscle Sports Nutrition. Introducing your host, Sacramento King's Insider, James Hamm. Welcome to the CSN King's Insider Podcast. I am James Hamm. Joining me at the Sacramento King's Practice Facility, Mr. Garrett Temple. What's going on? How are you? What's going on, Mr. Hamm? I'm doing well. Doing well. Just finished a pretty productive practice. Um, ready to get home. You've started the last two games. What's different for you when you're starting versus coming off the bench? Are you comfortable in any role with this team? Yeah, I'm comfortable in either role. It's just uh, when I'm starting, I'm playing more with um, DeMarcus and Rudy. Um, so playing, uh, understanding where I'm going to get my, my looks offensively and understanding where those guys like the basketball. Um, you know, so my cuts may be a little different in terms of, and, you know, my placement on the court may be a little different. But, uh Defensively, I'm still doing the same thing, trying to cause havoc, and uh, you know we're all just playing team basketball. When you are playing with that starting group, your role changes. I mean, clearly you're not asked to do nearly as much scoring, but is it more uh, station, like finding where Cousins can hit you for the kickout, or or what's the best place to cut for you? Is that how you kind of look at it? Definitely, definitely. You know, uh, Demarcus is going to gain a lot of attention, so understanding. Um, whether he's double team, if I need to be on the baseline, or if I need to be in the slot, understanding the placement of uh, you know my cuts and my positioning, my spot ups, um, you know. So I'm learning where where, where I'm gonna get shots at when I do get them with the starting unit. And uh, yes, yeah, obviously it's different playing with Demarcus than it would be if we're playing with uh, Willie or Costa, who are more pick and roll, rolling type bigs rather than post up. How is your first season going here in Sacramento? Are you adjusting well? Do you like what, sort of the the vibe, the new arena, everything that's going on here? Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm enjoying it, man. I'm enjoying it. Uh, the new arena um, was one of the big reasons I wanted to come, the new arena and the coaching staff. I knew Coach Yeager. Uh, and then, obviously, the fans, man. It's, it's still tremendous to me how, how loyal, the, loyal the fans are and how big the fan base is here. You know, we played a team like Detroit on a Tuesday night in a, on a – terrible rainstorm and we still get a sold out crowd so that that just shows you what type of fans we have and uh you know it just makes you want to play even harder for them when you were a free agent i went through and i looked at the numbers something that stands out about you and anthony tolliver and matt barnes you guys are what i kind of call self-made men in the nba guys that had to put in all the work to get to the league I think I saw six 10-day contracts on five different teams for you. You played in Italy. You played everywhere. How nice is it for you to to know that you're, you've got long-term security now? Uh, you're making twice as much of this year as you've ever made in your entire career. Eight How nice is that? Much. Eight times as much. Making eight times as much I've, as I've ever made in my entire career. Um, it's, it's It feels great, man. It feels great to, you know, feel like that hard work that I've been um, putting in, you know, my last, you know, uh, 15, 20 years, 15 years has paid off, but uh, I'm not satisfied, but it does. You know, I have been able to – I'm at a position now where I can um, – I'm grateful for what I've been able to get to, where I've been able to get to because uh, it was a tough road, you know. Uh, was I understood exactly what I wanted to get to, and I 
I didn't know exactly how we would get there. It's been, you know, some some twists and turns, but uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. It make it, it has made me, as, as I know, Anthony and Matt can say the same thing. It has made me even. Um, it has made it sweeter, and kept me hungry. And uh, I'm, I'm glad for everything I had to go through to get to this point. Do you take that when you talk to a young guy like Ben or Malachi or Scal and Papianis and say, look, you know, not all of us were first-round picks. Not all of us got that guaranteed three years. A lot of us had to work through, and this is sort of the standard you have to set for yourself. Yeah. Uh, when talking to guys like that, because all those four guys were first-round picks, so it's more so to let them know, you know, continue continue your grind. You know, I know it's tough, but there are people that are, that have gone through much worse and been able to get to where you want to get to. And they had, you also need to know that if you relax, there's somebody like me um, that's going to take your spot if you don't, you know, play hard, if you don't be a professional, if you don't put your work in. So understand that, you know, you, we have the best job in the world. Um, you know, we we – play basketball for a living we stay in shape for a living uh you know it's another damn paradise every day we walk wake up and walk on this court so understand that you know, you'd be grateful for where you are not satisfied but be grateful you spent the last couple of seasons with washington wizards with john wall did you have conversations with john before deciding to come out here and play with demarcus i talked to him uh, not before i talked to him after um now we had talked about demarcus before just and just talking as teammates and friends. But after I signed, I, I talked to him and asked him what type of guy Cuz was. Um, you know, the the way the media portrayed him is it I, I didn't think that it was completely right, but I wanted to know if there was any truth to it and just, just figure out what type of mindset DeMarcus had because he had, uh, you know, spent a lot of time with him in Kentucky. What is your your impression now that you're here with him every day? Great, great guy. DeMarcus is one of the most uh, passionate um players I've ever played with he's uh he has a pretty high basketball IQ um you know he understands the game understands things that he can do and his skill set obviously is second to none I've never seen a big that can do the things that he can do um again he understands the game and he's very very competitive he's uh you know he wants to compete wants to win um, you know, and, and those things come out in different ways. But at the end of the day, one thing you can't take from him is that he wants to win the game for his team. You know, as someone who watches you every night, I can appreciate someone who comes in and works as hard as you do. You're you're always getting into players. You're you're working as much or more than anyone else on the court at any given moment. But also off the court. You've become sort of a uh, a speaker of truth, I like to call it. Uh, when we walk into a locker room and things have gone wrong, you're the first guy to admit things have gone wrong. What is it that you feel like you're you're comfortable in your own skin saying, like, look, we messed up, or look, we've got to stop arguing and get back on defense. We've got to do these things that a lot of other players kind of skirt the issue. I don't know. I'm, uh, maybe just... You know, the way I was raised, my parent, my, my dad and mom, my mom especially taught me to be um, independent thinker, so not really care what other people think, just be honest. Uh, I've been very blunt, you know. Uh, I, I'm a guy that's going to be pretty blunt when it comes to things, and I think the best way to to fix problems is to attack them head on, and you have to, you know, admit something is wrong in order to fix it. Um same thing that goes with not just basketball, but life in general, things that are going on in our nation, you know. You, if you just skirt around it, you're never going to fix the issue. So 
Um, you know, if I see an issue, I want it to be fixed, then we have to make sure we acknowledge it. Now, you are, are also vocal in the community. We've seen that. And is that something you take as something that is your responsibility as as a public figure to, to go out in the community and say things that need to be said or, or work with groups? You know, like we had the the deal earlier in the year where you and some of the other players spoke to a lot of high school students. Is that something that it's sort of an obligation that you need to take on? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I've, had, I've known some players uh, some athletes say it's not, they don't think it's an obligation um obviously it's our opinion i, I honestly the way i was raised i was uh raised that it's, it's it's our obligation it's our responsibility to whom much is given much is um you know expected so uh you know having this platform i think it's my responsibility to use it in the way that god wants me to and you know I have a little a few more people that will listen to me than the average person on the street so if i can use that uh, that voice for good and to, uh, for positive change, then I think it's my responsibility to do so. All right, I want to keep you all day. You guys are busy, but uh, i got to ask, you guys have been up and down all season long. Number one, have you ever played with a team that has so many peaks and valleys? And number two, how do you get through this this you know stretch here where you're looking at eight games on the road coming up and just the chaos of the NBA season without having these major peaks and valleys? Yeah, I, this definitely isn't the first that I've – first team I've played with that have had this many uh, ups and downs. This is the, you know, most teams in NBA have this type of season. You know, nobody is, there are only a few teams that are 28 and 6 and only a few teams that are 6 and 28. Most of the teams are, you know, a little, a little below 500, a little above 500. So, you, obviously, they have peaks and valleys, you know. Um, but I, I think our thing is understanding what, how we win games and focusing on doing those things, the things that we can control, focusing on doing those things all the time, every game. And that's when we'll be able to get consistent. All right. Fan favorite, Garrett Temple. Thanks for dropping by. Appreciate it. Welcome back to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me on the talkback portion of the podcast, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. Aaron, what's going on? Wow, that was a very subdued hoop-ball.com. You did. You threw me off there, man. Yes. Is it the weather? Uh, you know what? The sky is falling everywhere, Aaron, not just literally but figuratively with the Sacramento Kings and literally outside with the plethora of precipitation that we have coming our way. Uh, yeah, it's been a wild couple of days. How are you? What's going on? I survived a, a quick 24-hour flu bug, which I get once a year. So I'm glad that came and went. Uh, Do you get to schedule there, that or what? Uh, no, no. But it happens once a year. And uh, then for the storm, we had the old, um, you know, I live in East Sacramento. So we, we have some folks that fancy themselves car robbers. So they, they punched out the window of the car to get it the coach box in the back seat. But we got the last laugh because there was no coach item in the box. Did your car fill with rain? Uh, it got a little damp in there, but but not too bad. So we're okay on that front. Other than that, uh, I'm just happy to be in January. We're just, you know, you kind of feel like you're getting stuff done. You, you turn the corner in the NBA season. It seems like we kind of know who teams are, whereas we're constantly in the first couple months to talking about what ifs and short and small sample sizes and things like that. So I think this is when, when things heat up. So I'm happy. 
Happy. All right. Well, you can't be happy if you're a Sacramento Kings fan. They've dropped three in a row. Uh, I tweeted this out the other uh, the other day while I was watching the game. The Sacramento Kings, they seem to be like that uh, that guy who's pushing a giant boulder up a hill. And, and they're almost to the peak. They're almost to the precipice where everything from then on is, is all downhill and it's like a fun ride. And then they like take a little a little slip. They they hit a little patch of pine needles and their foot slips out from underneath them. And all of a sudden, the the rock is rolling back on them. And, and they're sitting there fighting as hard as they can, but it's slowly squishing them and <laughs> pushing them back down the hill. And it's not just overall. It's in every game you feel these moments where they're just fighting. They're fighting against who and what they can be and what they might be and what they should have been. And it's just really, really frustrating to watch. Aaron, what's your take of the three-game losing streak? Is there anything that just has blatantly just jumped out and bit you? Yeah, it's a it's a weird – I expected them to not perform all that well. You know, you figure after a big winning streak, it's almost uh, – it would, it would be – not Kang's like if they actually continued to win. So, you know, you kind of just put your money where, where the history lies and you kind of expect them to start losing games. Uh, what, but one thing that I did notice um, outside of the Miami debacle is that, again, they're still competing in these games against, um, you know, upper echelon teams. Uh, I noticed towards the end of the week that they started, it appears to me they figured out the Garrett Temple thing Congratulations on that. Um, <laughs> like it's I said, one somebody, game, Aaron. It's one game. <laughs> I, I know. Hey, it, no, but I think he got 31 minutes or something in uh, the LA game. I, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure on that, but uh, it, it seems like they figured that they they did get some interesting starting lineups out there. The lineup last uh, against Golden State last night, I thought was a really good starting lineup configuration for them. Um, you know, playing. Uh, Ty and Darren together, you know, yes, uh, the Clippers, they they ran small in that game. So that allowed that to happen. But I do think that the um, there's some good signs in there. Um, I think the one thing that has to happen, uh, we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but uh, Matt Barnes, I, I think that's probably the biggest um, X's and O's question mark that I have about this team. And in the Miami game, you know, I think that was the beginning of or probably maybe the end of, my God, what is this lineup? Because really, that game, you can't lose to that team. And when you played the lineups you were playing in that game, you know, I really had no uh, sympathy for the Kings or Dave Yeager in that one. I mean, that's just absolutely, you know, un- unacceptable, I guess, if you're a Kings fan. And and really, a, a team that had James Johnson defending DeMarcus Cousins, the fact that the <laughs> entire squad didn't foul out, <laughs> um, and that might be one thing I also noticed is that their their offense, what well, times it looks crisp, they still lack the command of the offense to know when do they need to settle down and get the ball to Demarcus in the post and take advantage of their best matchup on the floor. That is the one thing that you know against Golden State, they're such a good team. They played such a great first quarter, and the one thing that when it started to go haywire that they couldn't do was say okay rather than a bunch of demarcus cousins dribble drives or demarcus cousins putting it on the floor even from the post or the pinch post let's just settle down you know let's get you into a nice calm rhythm maybe even post up some other players 
and get some ball movement going. They just got caught up in the Warriors' pace. So a little sloppy. But I thought there was some positives to take out of a few of those games. Okay, so a couple of positives. Uh, number one, the, just like to sum it up in a nutshell for me, Miami, probably the most disappointing loss of the season. DeMarcus Cousins was just almost in shambles after that game. Just took that really, really hard. Uh, if you face a team and you're in the NBA and you don't know what to do when they face you and they face your post players and you can't figure out how to get around that, then you deserve to lose. Just point blank. Uh, I watched them try to feed DeMarcus Cousins like eight, nine times and like they, they literally did not know how to get the ball into the post. And I've never seen anything like that. And just to me, silly, 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 silly. And you're going to lose anytime you do that. I mean, that is a, a really bad team to start. And then they were completely beat up coming in. No Hassan Whiteside. Tyler Johnson missed the game before with migraine. James Johnson had, uh, what, food poisoning. Goran Dragic wasn't even supposed to play the night before, but they only had eight players. And they're on the second night of a back-to-back, just like the Kings were. There's There's no excuse for that. And the Kings keep finding themselves in these situations. If you take the, there's no excuse for that game, which there's three of them. There's two Miami games and one Dallas game. And you shift them over. The Kings are one game under 500. But that's not the way the NBA works. And so now they're they're getting hammered. They're, what, seven games under 500. And lo and behold, Aaron, they still hold the eighth seed in the West. The West, it, it's just, <laughs> it's so, ah. Oh. But, like, everyone's going to be tied here in a few days. They'll, they, What is it, 15 teams? So, like, the final seven teams in the conference are all just going to be tied at, like, 15 and 25 or something. And, like, hey, what exactly is going on here? So, now, you talked about Matt Barnes, and you brought up Matt Barnes. So, um, the the Clippers game, I don't know if you saw this. I, did, did they post all of Jaeger's press conference up on... I mean, did you watch Jaeger's press conference? In the, uh, in the yeah, game? actually, I did. And this is the, the two-for-one press conference, I imagine. Or, or the <laughs> – I just gave it a name. Did, um, yeah, did you get to the point where he said, James, do you have a question? That I do recall. Okay. And, I didn't have a question because my first instinct was to say, why in the world are you playing Matt Barnes? And then I look at the stat sheet, and Matt Barnes – has a plus 13, and every other starter is like a negative 22. And I just, when you look at it, I know I, I know that, this, that, that stats don't always tell the whole story, but at the same time, they do tell some stories. And I, I just don't, I don't know what to make of what he's doing, and it doesn't matter what I ask him or what I don't. He's either not going to answer it, or he's not going to give me a realistic straight answer. And so I, at that moment, looked at it, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to cherry pick some stats, maybe talk about something. And then I looked, and I'm like, you know what, man? You got beat by a better team. You got beat by a better team. You hung in tight. DeMarcus Cousins made a mistake, which nine times out of 10, 99 times out of 100, 999 times out of 1,000, he goes for the layup with 22 seconds left to tie the game. And one time. He decides to find Rudy Gay, and he turns the ball over. And his his teammates stood behind him. And I, I can't fault you in that game. I can't. That is a better team. They are a they are a more seasoned, better team than the Sacramento Kings. Uh, am I off on that thinking? 
I'm, I'm enumerating like three different points in my head, so I'm gonna try to remember Go them. Uh, the first, the first one is okay. Matt Barnes in that game, you know, the Kings had a great first quarter, and he didn't play particularly well in that first quarter, and that's where the bulk of his plus-minus came from. Um, so that, and and I actually, you know, I don't know you how to. I I can critically watch a game from a screen so much better than I can from the angle at the Golden One Center. Yeah. Um, so it's I, I don't blame anybody for not being able to kind of pick out that in real time. Like I can rewind. I can do all sorts of stuff and, and see kind of what's going on there. And, I, and Barnes has been more fascinating than than most NBA players from a, you know, X's and O's and a playing time point of view, because it's probably 50 percent of possessions. He's doing something that you can spot on tape as wrong as whether it's on offense with the you type sit of there shots and just like yell the TV wrong <laughs> wrong <laughs> uh, it's 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 more like wrong wrong <laughs> that's wrong no wrong. it's cuz it's wrong you know it's the covering the kings is actually it's it's a, an exercise in in just repetitiveness <laughs> cuz you see the same stuff over and over again and you wonder why it doesn't change but it it, it I'm, I like I said with the uh the temple thing it's an improvement that it only takes 40 games for this stuff to happen. I mean, typically it's full seasons or, or typically they send the players away. And, uh, but I digress then, you know, so on the Barnes thing, you know, as far as is what I'm trying to really wrap my head around with him is why is, why is he still on the floor? Cause defensively he's really making a lot of mistakes out there. He's and a gambler. He's a gambler for sure. It's, but it's, it's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of gambling. It's a little bit of having not enough foot speed. It's a little bit of just pure, like, kind of silly stuff, like frustration fouls, frustration texts, you know. Like, you throw it all together, and it's about half the plays that he's out there. He's making some sort of tangible mistake that's impacting that possession. And so I've just been wondering, is he on the floor because of his stature in the locker room? Is it because DeMarcus Cousins supports him? Is it because he's a leader in the locker room and to take the minutes away would somehow diminish that or upset the balance of things? Because really, it's hard to to see the justification, especially if he's hurt, you know, especially with the way that he's playing. And, and in these games, so back to the Clippers, you know, you have this, this game here where they are the better team. And even without Blake Griffin, they're the better team because they got Chris Paul. And they're... Um, you know, but it's still a winnable game. And you've got, yes, he has this this plus minus in that game, but he's really struggled in that game. And so you go, okay, you can take that one thing away. They might win that game. And that's really the story of this year's Kings. They've had about 20 games, give or take, that have been extremely close and probably could have won at least five to six of them if they had the better configuration of either, you know, playing time or just the offensive um, execution, if you will. You know, the, the thing you mentioned against the Heat, where they can't post up DeMarcus Cousins, but a lot of this has to do with the way that he likes to handle the ball, where he likes to play with the ball on the perimeter, he likes to dribble, and this is true of any NBA player. The more you dribble, the less you're effective, the less you're efficient, and so that green light, if you will, has spurred on a lot of bad development for him where he's not great at sealing on the post and his, his teammates don't get in-game practice 
with him in, in game situations entering the ball into the post so they don't know the counters to the overplays and the, the sets are not optimized. But for I've seen him seal so many times where he puts a, an arm in someone's back and he leans back off them and he says, throw it up and over the top. And, and it works magically. He, he's got huge paws. He catches it and he lays it right in. That you one know what? game, it's they too just slow. Like, I, I guess, but that too slow against guys that were half the size of him. He just, for some reason, and in the, the Heat game is a game that they come back and they take a lead. And as soon as they got the lead, Cousins had been ineffective and so had Barnes the whole game. And, and Jaeger decides to put them back in the game with eight minutes left before building a lead. And they lose it and, and then it snowballs, right? absolutely and i I don't know to to the point about the posting i I think that there's there just needs to be more crisp about it and they're when when they do that correctly you see the ball whip around and and you see even the most uh notorious kings haters out there kind of you know comment on how good the offense looks and and that yeah (laughs) i mean the ones that complain about the Kings all the time out there will, you know, say, you know, this ball is moving around and they're getting good shots. And that's what they got in the first quarter against the Warriors. It's they have pretty good ball movement on the team, but you get the right guys on the floor. Um, so I just think that, you know, with DeMarcus against these higher end teams you know, against the Warriors they're, you know, you, you he's got to play a, not a perfect game, but he's got to be very effective. And in those situations where, things are starting to get away from them. He goes to the dribble drive. And this was the, the third point that I was thinking about in, in the late game situations. This has been something that hasn't been talked about as much with the Kings. Their late game execution has been really rough. And it's been a lot of DeMarcus Cousins isolation at the top of the key. Some of rip through uh, moves to attempts to draw fouls. The um, They're almost never working. The, uh, the two for one miss... I thought that was really interesting because he, uh, Dave Yeager was asked about it after the game and I'm not hundred percent convinced he knew it was a two for one and, um, that, and then he mentioned that he was trying to take advantage of the free timeout where, where there was a review. So somebody missed the communication there where you got to get a shot off early. They don't. And that essentially decides the game that, That aspect of the execution was one thing, but they're giving the ball to Marcus and saying get out of the way more or less on a lot of these plays. And it's, again, he's going to what he feels is his core competency, which is this dribble drive game where a lot of the moves are completely uh, repetitive. And so I think defenses know how to defend it now. And especially at the end of the game, I think it was Akis, the Sacktown Royalty, mentioned that you know at the end of the game you just got to cover DeMarcus and maybe Rudy because the ball's not going to go anywhere else. And that's just – you're not going to have any success against that. So it's a mentality thing where I think you see the offense is getting set up. I think you see that that they're getting more efficient with the way that they run Jaeger's offense. It's definitely a lot more crisp. But now they've got to figure out kind of how to break out of that when things aren't going well and get to the core competency that takes advantage of their players, their best players, best strengths, which is these 280 pounds. And if you're going to hard double them, you need to know how to counter that and get an open three point shot. They'll eventually get there, but they're not there. So late in crunch time, they're saying, you know what? Hey, DeMarcus, we can't really get you the ball in the post, but you know, take it out at the top of the key. 
do that crossover dribble that you always do and see if you can get something going to the lane. And again, they won't call the fouls on that stuff. He's going in there trying to get contact. And if he's trying to shoot a layup on the left side of the rim, he is not making that. If he tries to shoot a layup on the left side of the rim with his right hand, he is like oh for his last 10. So he's, I think he's just got to find a better comfort zone near the hoop and things will open up for the Kings. Yeah, you know, if we break each of these games down individually, I mean, there are plenty of stops where we can say, hey, look, that was horrible. This didn't work out at all. I think a couple of nice things. Rudy Gay has looked solid in his return after missing four games and, what, 10 out of 11. Um, his first quarter against the the Golden State Warriors was so George Gervin-esque. It was just beautiful to watch it. And that's when I really enjoy watching Rudy Gay play when he starts doing these incredible finger rolls around the basket he was so aggressive and so assertive. He had 15 in the first quarter, and then they basically didn't go back to him. I mean, he had 23 for the game. Um, and in that game, too, let's see, the second quarter, about midway through the second quarter, they were up 16. And then they had the situation where Cousins picked up his fourth foul, and he went to the bench, and he beat the chair senseless. <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw this, Aaron, but after that moment, after he beat the chair senseless and, and kicked it, uh, I think it was like a right-left combo followed by a kick. Um, then the Kings allowed the Golden State Warriors to go on a 39-13 to run over the next you know quarter, over the end of the third and the, I mean, the, the beginning, the end of the second and the beginning of the third. And they, they just got mopped. And this is not the first time this has happened specifically against the Golden State Warriors where... I kind of feel like Cousins has this moment where he just understands that they're going to lose and he it's like an epiphany moment and he freaks out and like, oh, Jesus, we're going to lose! And he loses his mind. And what he, he doesn't do in that moment is trust his teammates to get it right and to carry the lead into halftime. And then he comes out in the third quarter and I thought he was in the exact same mood and they should have had him out of the game within two minutes when they saw it. And by the time they got him out of the game, it was already snowballing and it was out of control and the game was over. And so, like, I understand that there are times when Cousins is going to have these moments and you have to play through them, number one, as a team. But it's kind of jarring to watch something like that happen where somebody, you know, really just loses their composure. And while you've seen it before, not all of these guys have seen it again and again at, at crunch time and in, in in the middle of games where all of a sudden the entire game basically is stopped while somebody is is having an issue and I, I just think that hurt them really bad and and I hope that we see less and less of those but I'll be honest with you Dave Yeager following the game said look the dude is absolutely exhausted and I can see that over the last couple of games he hasn't had his lift it's tough you go from the the Denver game to Miami where you're a mile high, the next day you're you're back. At, you know the travel is horrible. It looks like it took something out of him. He looks a little bit slow and a little bit winded. And then Jaeger, of course, following the game says, "Well, yeah, it might be the point where we give him another break." And then I asked Jaeger uh, at practice on Monday, I'm like, "Hey, so do you really think that you're going to give Demarcus a break?" And like he's done so many other times, he completely backs off what he says and goes, "Yeah, I don't really see that." You know, I don't really see a way that I can do that over the next couple of games. And it's like, no, you can't do it, dude. You've lost three in a row. And, 
you know, maybe you do have to bite the bullet. Maybe against the Cavs, you sit DeMarcus Cousins and say, okay, it's a it's a loss. We get it. Um, because you got an eight-game road trip. It, what is it, eight games in 12 nights or something? And if he's playing with flat tires or he's playing without any energy at all, then you're going to get mopped. So maybe maybe giving him a break until next week is something that makes sense. And I hate saying that, but look, the guy played for TMUSA. He's played a, not just a lot of minutes, which I know someone, uh, my good my good friend Whitey Gleason put out there that he's like 24th in the league in minutes played or something. But the other guys ahead of him aren't 280 pounds. They're not giants that are running up and down the court like he is. And it's tough. I mean, it takes a a lot of uh, a lot of a lot out of you to play the style and to play the way that he's playing and to get beat on every single night. And when you start to see these losing streaks kind of grow, it's usually because they're not in a good place mentally. And I don't think it really has much to do with physical. Yeah, you know, I heard your question to to Dave with the uh, you know how that impacts the team and and Demarcus's moment there and you know dave's response was to quickly frame it as what you know for any talk about yeah (laughs) to say you know (laughs) for anybody (laughs) he's a good deflector uh the uh and to frame it as that anybody on the team you know needs to not do x y or z and you know he's very protective of any quotes that could hit the paper and and he's playing that he's walking that line there with DeMarcus and that's probably very wise but the the really the touch point on this and it will always be is when does it get traction to take the next step in 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 the evolution of his game on the mental side which is to reduce the amount of of uh, influence that these moments have on losing and that's, you know, you see the team fall apart. It's happened m- many times before. And it's just something that eventually he's going to have to get under control. And, um, you know, there's really not much more to say about that other than that, you know. And as far as, you know, giving him rest and, you know, I actually lived with a long time ago, a 280-pound athlete was an NCAA championship wrestler. And they can't run. Like, it's not um he he went up against a guy who was uh ended up playing uh guard for the um the New England Patriots Stephen Neal and they they would go do battle in in the um the NCA finals for the heavyweight wrestling and that guy was cut and and he could kind of run but nobody at that size can run it's it's just really hard on them so to play a, a up tempo game of of basketball the way the, the game is currently played you know, it is hard on him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye if he rested him because, you know, looking at this schedule here, this is, this is tough. This is why you couldn't afford to lose the games. And this is why you question some of the playing time deployment decisions and, and how that's all gone down because you can't make up that ground now. I, I, I looked at the schedule. I don't have it up in front of me right now because I had to shut down one of my uh, windows is taking too much internet juice. But the, uh, the next month and a half, teams have kind of, by now they've shown who they are and now there's probably more quality teams on there than it appeared that there would be say a month ago. And so they've got their work cut out for them to be 500 over that span. And if they're entertaining any ideas of being the eight seed 
or you know finishing the season with a decent win-loss record, they're going to have to do exactly that. And then at the end, if they get lucky, the, the, the schedule does open up a little bit in March and April. But for now, they got to bring their A game. So resting them against Cleveland, yeah, I'd do that. You know, and they get Cleveland, I think, five games later. I believe they get a couple tough teams two times within a 10-game span. Oh, yeah. So the Indiana, schedule's not letting me up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what do you say? I, yeah. I, 27 so, wins makes playoffs? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> I think a lot of those teams are going to start playing better. Um, eh. You know, what goes down comes up, and what eh. comes up goes down, all we that always, stuff. We always think it, it, play it, it is a thing. <laughs> no, no. Well, I, I would put it this way. I, I'm not convinced that the eight seed is like a lot under 500. I'm, I'm not even convinced that they're under 500 at this point. Because look at this. Like this is the funny part about the Kings. And let's talk about the eight seed real quick. Like the Kings win three more games. They go on that three game winning streak. And the way that they were talked about instantly changed. And then they lose a bunch of games. And now it's kind of back to the old thing. So it doesn't take a lot for perceptions to change. And with the Kings, they go on runs. So I would not shock me if somewhere in here they won three in a row and, you know, everybody's, you know, happy again because they're in the eight seed. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about, like, why are they even going for the eight seed? And, and I think that it's a really big deal for this team to get the eight seed. I agree. Because if there are playoff games at Golden One Center, it is going to change the way that virtually every person connected with this this in the league talks about this team and that is going to impact free agency it's going to impact the way that rookies coming into the league look at the organization it's going to touch every portion of the organization even the intangibly players. it's going to help the players Absolutely. understand that there's something more and a lot of these players haven't been there a lot of them and they're going to get to see what that intensity feels like and and that's why you want to at least make it once so you can feel that and, and try to grow off of that it's a big deal, man. It, it is. And I've had the same conversation. People have fought me. Oh, I think they should tank so they keep their pick. Like, come on now. Give me that Give me that $3 million on the open market that you're going to pay a pick this next year. And I can do a lot more damage than you're going to get out of that pick for three years. Like, there are much better players. I mean, Ty Lawson is playing on a league minimum deal. I'd much rather go search for more Ty Lawsons, go search for more Omri Caspi's making $3 million a year and use my money wisely as opposed to blowing it on draft picks that are not even a 50-50 proposition. I mean, it is what it is. So, Aaron... It's, it's, the draft is a crapshoot, and yeah, I just think that for this, especially this franchise, you know, I can make the argument that, that going for... But developing with the playoffs in mind is good for any organization, but when it's the Kings and their history and everything that they've got going against them these days, it's it's more important for the Kings than any other franchise out there to be able to take that positive step forward and, and for all the aforementioned reasons. So I think that it's really important that they look at these, um, you know, the, the next 10 games and try to get this lineup thing figured out. I'm, I'm, I cannot understate how Matt Barnes has struggled and I've been, I was as high on Barnes as anybody coming in the year. And I think it's, it's, you know, he's not getting penalized in a sense for making the mistakes. So there's nothing telling him not to do it. You know, I think if he got sat after some of these things, maybe he'd tighten his game up when Matt Barnes plays a tight game, a tight, he's, he's known for his efficiency. He's known for not turning the ball over. 
you know, he's known for for making good decisions. That that stuff has on the court. And and that has been, you know, kind of that's all been lost. I mean, he's out there flinging these passes that, you know, he he looks for the cutter underneath the hoop and and puts that puts that pass in a bad spot almost every time he gets the ball up there. And so just reeling him back a little bit, reel DeMarcus back a little bit, try to impress upon him the importance of taking care of the ball and, and moving away from the dribble drive game and, and trying to assert himself and, and really working that post passing game. Cause the, the high post that stuff's working, but when it's not working, you have to have something else to go to. And, and you saw it against the warriors. Once they figured out the high post action, it just all went to crap. You know, they got flustered and then you had a big old run and that was it. Well, anytime against the Warriors, the best way to actually beat the Warriors, the the way to beat the Warriors is you have to actually make your own shots. You can't panic. You can't get crazy. If you make your shots and have the opportunity to get back and set your defense, they become much, much more beatable. But what was it? 28 to three, the Kings got beat on fast break points. Something like alarming, something like that. And, and you're going to lose every game when it comes down to that. The third quarter was, I, I think, 14 fast break points for the Warriors. They just ran the Kings off the court because the court they, the Kings started missing shots. So, okay, Aaron, one last thing we need to get to, and that is Mark Stein's report that the Sacramento Kings are preparing a $200 million extension for DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, this is something I have been saying the whole time, and people have been shaking their heads and saying, James, you're crazy. I told you people that there was a much better opportunity that the Sacramento Kings would offer DeMarcus a massive, massive contract extension this summer than that they would trade him. And I will continue to say that everything from inside tells me that that is still the case. Uh, Everyone that I've talked to still believes that DeMarcus Cousins will be a king after the trade deadline. And that if you're going to have him be on this roster after the trade deadline, then it's extension talk time. And I even, you know, have talked to some people that say that they believe that there's a good chance that DeMarcus Cousins takes that offer, that $200 million uh, contract extension, and becomes a, a lifer in Sacramento, or at least for the next few years while they figure out what's going on. And then, you know, whatever happens late in his career, we'll see. But again, you know, the next three or four years for sure with a, a contract extension would look more like five or six years. Aaron, are you comfortable with that? Because to be honest with you, I, I don't think the Kings really have any other option. Yeah, I'm completely comfortable with that as, as, as much as that's going to make a bunch of people irate. Uh, you know, you look at these numbers, not as like real numbers. You look at them as percentages of salary caps and things like that. And star players will never, ever command what they're worth. And mm-hmm. so that max slot, you could give that, and you see this all the time, you, these max slots go to go to top 40 players. And you have to lock players up when you can. The, really, the, the question you're asking yourself is, can you win with DeMarcus Cousins? And here's the kicker here, guys. You can win with him as, as, as your best player if he starts to round out the uh, edges in his game but you can also win with him as a second best player and i saw um one of my favorite writers is tim kawakami 
And, and that might even make some people, you know, scream out there because, you know, he has a contentious relationship with folks on Twitter. But he just blocked you know, all those people. It's OK. Yeah. And I, I know he, Tim. He was Actually, saying, I hang out with him in, in the CSN studio. But go ahead. Yeah. And he was basically kind of saying, you know, you can't win with DeMarcus and you should trade him and all that stuff. And that players wouldn't want to play with him. That was the thing. He, DeMarcus has a great relationship with players around the league. You know, they're constantly having his back. You, know, you saw Udonis Haslam and him talking after the game and in a respectful way, you know, Udonis was actually trying to impart some wisdom to DeMarcus Cousins, you know, trying to help him along. I think players buy what DeMarcus is selling as a person and they will come and play with him. And the, the fascinating thing that I've always wondered is, say you can get another player that's equal to him. You know, think like Jimmy Butler, something like that. Now, not all the pressure's on to Marcus to be the number one guy. Maybe you call him the number one guy. Maybe he is the number one guy. But if you ever had him as a number two guy, that now you're really talking. And that's really the only way that you're going to ever have have a chance of winning anything anyway is having two top end players. So I, I really think that people kind of get lost in the that there's only a scenario where DeMarcus leads the Kings to a championship. You, he could be the piece that you, you build around right now, but getting somebody else to come play with him, you know, not every player that is a top 10 player was a number one draft pick. Jimmy Butler is a top 10 player right now. And I believe he was drafted like 21, you know, well, I think it's players. Than that. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't recall, but players, emerge out of anywhere and i think they will come to play with demarcus they they understand the challenges there and look we're coming off of a season with george carl who turned in one of the worst coaching performances of the last 10 years we're coming off of massive chaos as long as demarcus only beats up a handful of chairs it's probably a win this year and again if they make the playoffs that's a massive gain for this team and if they, they can build off of it, watch the steps forward that he takes in a future year and then the year after that. So they can lock him up for 200 mil, which is never, ever going to be what he's worth. Do it and and just deal with this other stuff as it comes. I know it's frustrating. Those are my thoughts. I guarantee you there are millions of people out there that disagree, but uh, I, I don't think I'd do it any other way. All right, so Jimmy Butler, I remember this. He in 2011, he was the 30th pick in the draft. I remember it because very specifically because Isaiah Thomas's father told me that the Chicago Bulls had promised them that they would take Isaiah with the 30th pick in the draft and they didn't and they took Jimmy Butler instead and Isaiah toppled all the way down to number 60. So that is why I remember it. Okay, so Final thoughts. Do you have anything brief, Aaron? Brief final thoughts. Ooh, no, not really. Uh, stay dry, people. It's pretty wet out there. Stay dry, people. That, okay. that's, that's terrible, but that's all I got. That's some like huge wisdom from Aaron Bruski there. He's just dropping stuff. You learn something every day, folks. That's right. All right. Uh, how about don't put a coach bag in the backseat of your car because people might break the window and steal the box. Hey, hey, you know what? I said that, and then I got the look, and I was like, "Oh no, that you, that was that was my fault." Why? I meant you, your wife, your dog. All hey, of you hey, should have known hey, better. Hey, James, you tell her it was her fault. I dare you to tell. <laughs> She's listening to the podcast. It was both of your fault. 
Okay, so uh, my final thoughts. Uh, I, I know Aaron is just going to beam the entire time that I'm going to say this. But my final thoughts are this. Garrett Temple, the basketball player, is is growing on everyone, and he's becoming a fan favorite very quickly. Garrett Temple, the locker room guy, is becoming a media darling. He speaketh the truth, Aaron Bruski, like not, very few players have ever done. And it has become refreshing to actually get a conversation with him after a game because he is going to tell you exactly what went wrong and why the Sacramento Kings lost. And he is going to be brutal. And I love it. He's become a quote machine. And I, I he is a breath of fresh air. He is a leader extraordinaire. And you're right, Matt Barnes is stealing a lot of the leadership in that. And he is a leader behind the scenes. But guys like Garrett Temple, guys like Anthony Tolliver, guys like Ty Lawson, they are making an impact on this team behind the scenes. And uh, Garrett Temple specifically, I think... He's just, he's a warrior. He's a beast. He's a guy who brings it every single night. And you have to appreciate that. So that's my final thoughts. Do you, do you want a, a rebuttal? I, I got something. I, I know I got you got to say something. I got I to gotta, I gotta say something. You don't mess with the Brewski guarantee. When I lay it down, you just don't mess with it, folks. There it is. <laughs> Should we start the road to 45? <laughs> It's 44, <laughs> damn it. 44, the road <laughs> to 44. All right, so that's going to do it for this edition oh. of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast brought to you by Max Muscle. Aaron Bruski, thanks for joining me. I am James Ham. We will see you very soon. Be safe in this crazy weather.